Please open your Bible to Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14. This morning we're going to be focusing our attention on verses 8 through 15. And if you were here last week, uh, you would have heard John present the shift that takes place when we come to Proverbs 14, where it moves from wisdom that relates primarily to an individual to wisdom as it relates to building a house. This is what he talked about, building a house. Wisdom applied as it affects your life and the life of those around you. And Proverbs 14.1 says this, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Proverbs teaches us that there are, there are two alternatives. There are, there are two paths. There are two ways. Either you are building or you are tearing down. You're either building or you're tearing down. And if you want to walk in wisdom, if you want to live the good life, then you must be a builder. God calls us to be builders. We are called to build up those around us, to build in order to shape those around us. We are called to build our house. Now, uh, a little over two years ago, two and a half years ago, March of 2021, there was an architect by the name of Krista Kim who sold a house that she had built for about $500,000. Now, $500,000, a half million dollars, is a lot of money. But for our younger listeners, $500,000 actually sounds pretty good to most of us when you're talking about buying a house. But this house that Krista Kim designed and built wasn't just any house. This house had a name. It was called, it is called, the Mars House. The Mars House. Why the Mars House? Well, the house is not physically located on Mars. It's actually not physically located anywhere. Mars House is a digital house that is set within a virtual Mars-like landscape. And the owner of this $500,000 digital mansion will be able to explore their new home using virtual reality. This is a true story. Somebody paid real money for this digital house. Mars House is lauded as the first NFT digital house in the world. The first NFT digital house in the world. And if you're having trouble understanding that, what that means, like I am, one news article describes it as what might be most easily understood as the most expensive game of The Sims to ever be played. If even that description doesn't make sense to you, that's okay too, because that's kind of my point. A $500,000 digital house doesn't make any sense as a house at all, right? I mean, our homes, what do they do? They keep us warm in the cold. They keep us cool in the heat. They protect us from the rain and the wind. They provide us places to sleep and eat and store our stuff. A digital house might be something, but it is not a home. It can only ever exist in a virtual space. It can only ever be explored using virtual reality. Now, we live today in a world that likes to talk about the future of virtual reality, of VR, and the impact it's going to have on our lives. This word virtual and this idea of virtual reality, it's kind of fascinating to think about. The origin of the word virtual has to do with, with influence, having an effect. When the word was first used in the 14th century, it referred to, to being something in effect, but not actually being something. So being something in effect, but not actually being something. For something to be virtual meant that it could have influence, but that it actually isn't something. 
Since the 1960s, with the advent of computers, the word virtual has been used more and more, and typically with the definition of not physically existing, like this house, but made to appear so. So what then is virtual reality? It's a reality that actually isn't. That's crazy. Now, to better understand words, sometimes it's easy to, or helpful to look at their antonyms, their opposites. Do you know what the opposite of virtual is? Some antonyms. Actual, authentic, real. Antonyms of virtual. So virtual reality is then unactual, inauthentic, and unreal reality. Which is like a perfect phrase for our times. You see, we don't just live in a virtual world in the sense that so much interaction takes place through digital mediums. We also live in a virtual world in the sense that so much of what is held out as good and true and beautiful is fake. It's not real. It's unreal reality. This world holds out things to us that, that look good. The world makes promises of, of peace and happiness, of security and satisfaction. That's like American marketing. That, those are the tools they got. Those are the tricks they got. Peace, have this, peace, have this, happiness, have this, security, have this, satisfaction. But it can't follow through on these promises. They're an illusion. They're a digital house that can't keep you warm. The world presents to us these lies that invent for us a false reality, a virtual reality, an unreal reality. They reject what is true and put something else in truth's place. Now, because we live in a world filled with lies, wisdom calls us to build according to truth, according to God's truth. And that means we must build in reality, build based upon what is really real. Build according to reality as, as God defines it, as he orders the world. And this is why. Because this is the only reality there is. And that's what our text is concerned with today. It's concerned with building in reality. Last week we looked at building for abundance. This week it's building in reality. And our text aims to protect us from being taken in by appearances from being tricked by what we see, from building and buying virtual houses, and to instead live and build in reality. When I was a kid, I, I really enjoyed optical illusions. And so you think you're seeing one thing, but you're actually seeing another. Proverbs 14, 8 through, 8 through 15 is really, is really saying, hey, what you see is not always real. We are to build in ways that really matter. Build with materials that are real. Build according to principles that are true. The wise are those who build in reality. So let's now look together to God in his word as I read from Proverbs 14, verses 8 through 15. Through these words, God speaks. Verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way. But the folly of fools is deceiving. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Even in laughter the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, 
and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. Verse 15, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Would you pray with me? Father, those who live by your word, you have said, are blessed. Those who walk according to your word are blessed. So we ask that you would open our eyes, that you would soften our, our hearts to receive this word this morning. Thank you that you are a God who speaks truth to us, speaks truth in the midst of a world of lies. And may we see you and know you and trust you as we hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our text begins with this truth in verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way. The one who is wise both understands where he is to go and how he is to go. He knows both the outcome and the activity, the destination and the means of transportation. Last week, as I was to travel to Oregon, I knew my destination. I knew where I was supposed to go. But I also had to discern how to get there. Uh, since this destination is 2,800 miles away, wisdom says that even though I enjoy running long distances, not a good idea to run there. Uh, it also, wisdom says, that even though I enjoy road trips, I probably shouldn't drive there. The wisdom of the prudent was to take an airplane, and so I did. But compared to the wisdom that discerns the way, the folly of fools is deceiving. It's deceiving. It lies. It promises one thing and delivers another. It says one thing and does something else. The folly of fools is a virtual reality. It appears as one thing, but it's an illusion. It ignores reality. And the big idea that we're going to be getting at this morning is this. The wisdom that God gives is a wisdom that sees through illusions and builds in reality. The wisdom that God gives is a wisdom that sees through illusions and builds in reality. And we're going to understand this idea by considering the, the illusions that our text presents, the virtual realities that we can see here. And I'm just going to go through two as we work our way through the text. First is virtual confidence, and second is virtual security. Now last week, John had gone through the first seven verses, and he, he described it as like going up a mountain, and you get to the apex, and going down on the other side. And he said that's called a chiasm. And our text today is also a chiasm. We're not going to go through it the same way, but what we're going to see is that, oh wow, verses 8 and 15, they go together. Verses 9 and 14, they go together, and so on and so forth. So first, we're going to look at virtual confidence. Virtual confidence. An illusion that our world puts forth. We live in a world that loves confidence. That loves people who are sure of themselves and sure of their way. In many ways, this love of confidence is the explanation for so much of what's happening in American politics today. A love of confidence. We love confident people. But more often than not, the confidence we see projected around us is nothing but a virtual confidence. It might have the effect of confidence, but it is not the actual thing. It's not confidence. It's not true confidence, real confidence. So how do we discern what virtual confidence looks like. And I think our text today helps us with that. How do we discern what virtual confidence looks like? 
I'm going to mention three ways that we can discern what virtual confidence looks like. The first way is in how we respond to sin. In how we respond to sin. We can detect virtual confidence when we see how someone responds to sin and wrongdoing. Look again at the beginning of verse 9. Fools mock at the guilt offering. Another translation simply says, fools mock at sin. The fool is one who when they see sin, they don't take it seriously. They laugh about it. They see it as a game. They mock it. Schools from pre-K to college are filled with people living this way. So are workplaces. But it's not just that. We see this virtual confidence of, of public figures who are found out in their sin, found out in their deception. Track the news this week. It's going to happen. Some public figure will be caught in their sin, caught in deception. Often their best strategy for maintaining support is to what? To mock their sin. They do what they can to make it seem like it's no big deal at all. And we are often tempted to do the same. We are confronted and we respond by maybe rolling our eyes. We're mocking at sin. Our sin is exposed and we justify it by saying, they're doing it. We minimize, we make excuses, we move on, we mock at sin. But don't be deceived. All this mocking at sin, this is not real confidence. It's virtual, it's, it's fake. It's the strategy of a fool. They might think that mocking in the face of guilt will deliver them, but this will be their rejection. And we see this in the contrasting phrase of verse 9, the upright enjoy acceptance. Rather than mocking at sin, the upright, the wise, takes responsibility for their sin. They recognize their guilt and understand it must be dealt with. So how do we deal with our sin? Where do we go to deal with it? Well, the Bible tells us that you deal with sin through judgment and blood and death. So then if I sin, if I sin in any way, if I miss the mark of what God calls us to in any way, I am guilty. That's what the Bible says. It says, I am guilty, I broke the law, I should be judged, I should die. That's what the Bible teaches. But God in His mercy, knowing the sinfulness of His people, made a way for them to be accepted through sacrifice. A guilt offering in this case. Instead of me being judged, a sacrifice can be made instead of me. I don't have to die right now. And through this offering, through this sacrifice, I can be accepted. Now the wise knows this. They know sin and guilt must be dealt with. So when they see their sin, they confess it. They repent and turn from it. When they've wronged others, they humble themselves and ask forgiveness. They look to bring restoration where sin has broken a relationship. And they do all of this knowing that this is the path to acceptance. It's not in mocking at sin, but in dealing with it. But there's even more for those who walk in wisdom, because Jesus came and died for all those who believe. He is that sacrifice on our behalf. His righteousness is our acceptance before God. And it's here that we can have confidence, real confidence, not virtual confidence, real confidence. So we can detect virtual confidence, discern between virtual confidence and real confidence in how one responds to sin. 
Second way we can detect virtual confidence is in the direction that we're moving, discerning the direction that we're moving. We can detect virtual confidence by seeing which direction we're moving. Life is lived like on a road. Proverbs talks a lot about this, walking in the way, walking on the path. And we can either be moving toward God or away from Him. The wise knows what verse 14 says. A good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. The outcome of those who walk in this uprightness, this true confidence, will reap a harvest of righteousness. They know their destination, where they are headed. But the virtual confidence in the face of sin has far more devastating consequences. Those who mock at sin, they're not only blatant fools. Those who mock at sin, they are those who can be on the right road. But they're not moving in the right direction. This is, these are sobering words. Verse 14. Look again at that verse. The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways. The backslider in heart. It might not be obvious because, they look, they're on the right road. But if you look closely, you'll see they're not moving in the right direction. They're backsliding. And once one begins sliding, it's very hard to stop. I mean, remember being a kid on, on slides at the playground, and they were always metal and, and stinking hot. And you start going down, and you realize, oh, wow, this is way too hot, and you're trying to stop yourself. It's really hard. You can't really. That's what it's like to be backsliding. Consider David in 2 Samuel 11, who after experiencing great success due to his laziness and pride, instead of going to battle as he should have done in the spring, he stays home. He puts himself in the way of temptation rather than discerning the way that God had called him to. And through David and his sin with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah, may David teach us to be ever watchful and ever dependent. Here was a man after God's own heart, backsliding. So how do we keep ourselves from backsliding? From the false confidence that I'm on the right road, so I'm okay. You're here this morning, right? I'm on the right road. I'm fine. How do we guard ourselves, protect ourselves? We move forward. We move forward by, by watching our hearts. We move forward by not making room for sin and temptation. Not letting it take up residence with us and next to us, which we so often do. We fill our minds with, with the, the lust of the eyes and craving for what this world presents to us. We let sin take up residence within us. Get comfortable next to us. That's a sure path to backsliding. One commentator says that the backslider has become formal and hurried in his prayers. Lukewarm in the means of grace. That is, fellowshipping with God's people, reading God's word. Reading his Bible to soothe his conscience rather than to feed his soul. I read that, that line. That's convicting. Because often I might sit down in the morning and I read my Bible because I want to feel better about myself. Like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. It's the right thing to do. I should do it. It's the right road. Absolutely, I should be on it. But I should be reading God's Word to feed my soul, not to soothe my conscience. So may God give us grace to not be backsliders, people on the right road but moving the wrong direction. 
May God give us grace to, to guard our hearts, to watch our hearts, to con- confess our sin, to not mock at sin, and to move forward in the right direction. So virtual confidence is seen in how we respond to sin. It's also seen in how we respond to our feelings. How we respond to our feelings. This is the third way we can detect virtual confidence. How we respond to feelings. Our text has some interesting things to say about what we feel, our emotions. In verse 10, we see how the individual is the only one who really knows what's going on in their hearts. The heart knows its own bitterness. And this verse uses bitterness and joy really to stand in for for all of the emotions that we might feel, all of the feelings that we have, and says that no stranger can share in these. No one else really knows what's going on in the heart. Verse 10 is making the point that, that what we see is not all there is. What we see in others is not all there is. It's teaching us not to be confident in what we see in others. To think that we know the feelings of someone else is a virtual confidence. To, know, to think that we know the feelings of someone else is a virtual confidence. It's not real. We see this even more explicitly in verse 13. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. We may see someone laughing, but reality is that their heart aches. The end of their joy is grief. And there's something that that we have to confront here as we look at this verse. Outside of Christ, apart from the wisdom of God, this ache and this grief is the human condition. It's the common experience of every one of us. Our joy will end in grief. Our laughter only mask a heart that will ultimately ache. We ultimately live lives of, of tragedy with a few moments of joy sprinkled in. One commentator writes, Since humans die, joy inevitably ends in grief. The party always ends. Acts of love cease. And there's no avoiding this reality. This verse comes across as I hope you're feeling this, exceptionally pessimistic. We might experience joy for a moment. We might be laughing on the outside, but inside our hearts ache. Reality is that apart from Jesus, joy will always end in grief. Virtual confidence, it trusts our own feelings. It trusts our own judgments of the feelings of others. Virtual confidence says, I know why he said that. He doesn't like me. She doesn't care about me. He doesn't really know me. But these Proverbs warn us not to be so confident in what we see and not to be so confident in what we feel. Feelings and emotions, they're a gift from God. They're a gift from God. It's a part of how God made us. To have feelings and emotions is a reflection of being made in God's image. But they are not our guide to God. They are a gift, not a guide. They are with us wherever we go, but they were never meant to lead us to where we should go. God is our only guide. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and in his light do we see light. So where virtual confidence trusts feelings, where virtual confidence says what I feel is what's real, a reality that should should guide me, a reality that should shape my relationships, that's what virtual confidence says. But while we do not know the heart, whether that be our own hearts or the hearts of others, God knows the heart. 
when, when Samuel is going to find a king to replace Saul, he goes to Jesse's sons. And when David comes, he doesn't look like a king. And the Lord tells Samuel, the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Only God knows our hearts. He knows what we feel. We might be misunderstood by others. We might misunderstand others. But the Lord knows each of our hearts. Not only does He know our heart, though, He knows our grief. True confidence places our trust in the one who humbled himself and became a man of sorrows and was acquainted with grief. He lived as one who walked with our limitations. He is one able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And this man, Christ Jesus, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Brothers and sisters, we may not always feel this. We may not understand it. But this is no virtual reality. It is the mercy of God upon us. And by His Spirit, He can make us know and feel and taste of this goodness and grace. God comes to us in this grace through His Word to, to comfort us, to encourage us, to guide us in our building. That we might build not according to the virtual confidence of this world, but according to reality as God defined it. So that's our first illusion, virtual confidence that we should be watching out for. The second illusion that our text warns us against is virtual security. Virtual security. Our world loves security. We love to know that we have the health that we need to give us happy days. We love to know that we have the wealth that we need to take care of us through all our days. And as a society, we are endlessly fascinated by the richest people around us. And we often long to be like them. We covet their prosperity. We covet their ability. We covet their security. We covet their abundance. But Proverbs warns us not to be taken in by this illusion. Not to believe this virtual security. Now, picture in your mind two structures. All right? Imagine two structures. A house and a tent. Judy, you got that? A house and a tent. Two structures. Which would you rather sleep in? A house or a tent? Which would you rather live in? A house or a tent? When the storm comes, when the wind howls and, and, the, and the rain is pouring down, where do you want to be? The house or the tent? Who is going to make it through the night? The person in the house. Listen to verse 11. The house of the wicked will be destroyed. But the tent of the upright will flourish. What? The house will be destroyed. The tent will flourish. As we look at these two structures, it's clear that the house seems far stronger, far more secure, far more promising. But the reality that Proverbs 14.11 tells us is shocking. The house is the one that is destroyed. It's the one that we thought that was so secure. It's the, it's the one that provides no security, that offers no true protection. The house of the wicked is an illusion that offers only virtual security. And virtual security, I mean, think about a home protected by virtual security. Does a storm care? 
about your virtual security? Do thieves care about your virtual security? They don't care about virtual security. Not real security. They will come right in and take what they want. The storm will come and destroy the house. But there is good news for the upright. For those who place their faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, man's greatest security is nothing compared to the security of the all-powerful God, the omnipotent God. And it's not just real security that we receive from God, but flourishing. Proverbs 14.11 doesn't say the tent of the upright is kept safe. It says more than that. It says it will flourish. It will be fruitful and abundant. Connected to Christ, we become the fruit-bearing branches that we read about earlier in John 15. Whoever abides in me and I in him, Jesus speaking, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We receive the, the fruitfulness of Christ in Christ. So we must live as those rooted in Christ. Building as those whose life is in Christ. And there's a way that, that Scripture talks about this. A word that's used for this kind of living. And it's called living by faith. Walking by faith. We live by faith and not by sight. That's really the whole point of this text. Live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith and not by feelings. We live by faith and not by what seems right. That's what verse 12 picks up on. Verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So much of what this world says, so much of what this world holds out to us, seems right. If it didn't seem right, we wouldn't be tempted by it. It seems good. If it didn't seem good, we wouldn't want it. But just because it seems right, just because it seems good, doesn't mean that it is right. Doesn't mean that it is good. We are called to walk in wisdom, to build in reality, and that means that we look ahead to where the road we are on is heading. We look ahead to the end of our road. And this is where we find true security. You see, we're all on this journey. We're all on the road, as I mentioned. But we must answer the question, where am I going? And often the answer to this question comes down to whether we are living by feelings or whether we are living by faith. Our feelings tell us which way seems right. They tell us to follow our dreams, that we deserve to do what we want to do, that we can determine our own reality, define our own truth. But in the end, all our feelings can do for us is hope for the best. I hope I'm on the right road. Verse 12 tells us that, that the best that our feelings can hope for is this, death. One pastor says that this verse teaches us that feels right road is death forever road. Feels right road is death forever road. But there's another way to live another road to travel, another way to know that we are on the right path. Because the wisdom of God gives us wisdom that sees through illusions and helps us build in reality. And this way is through faith. It's believing that God is who He says He is. That His words are true and right and good. And that we can know this wisdom by His Spirit through His Word. Living by faith means that we live according to the reality that this world is not our home. That we are citizens of another kingdom. 
that the security that this world offers is just an illusion. It's virtual security. Living by faith means that we recognize that the upright live in tents. The upright live in tents. Christians are to be those who live in tents. And what I mean by that is tents are temporary dwellings that point us forward. Temporary dwellings that point us forward. The upright are like Abraham, who went out from his home and went to live in a foreign land, living in a tent. Because, as Hebrews 11 tells us, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. That's security, a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He and all those who live by faith live as those who know that they are strangers and exiles on earth. They look forward to another home. They're looking for and desiring a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, as 11, 6, Hebrews 11.16 says, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. That's the promise to those who live in tents. So brothers and sisters, we walk and we build by faith, not by sight. There's a day coming when all will be set right. When grief will come to an end. When valleys will be lifted up and mountains will be made low. When the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And so today, we look to God as we wait on God. We entrust our lives to Him. We trust Him to do His work in His way at His time. And as we live in this world filled with lies, we must recognize what verse 15 tells us. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. We are not called to be the simple, those who believe and rely upon everything anyone says. If you want justification for some action, some decision, you can find it in this information age. But just because you find someone justifying what you're doing does not make it reality, does not make it true, does not make it right. While the simple believes everything, the wise believes one thing, the Word of God. And in this light do they give thought then to their steps. The prudent gives thought to his steps. Today we live our lives between the already of Christ's coming and the not yet of his return of this day that's coming when Christ, our life, will appear. And as we live in this in-between time, we live within our, our limited perception, our limited ability to understand and build according to truth. But brothers and sisters, we have a God who speaks to us through His Word, who goes with us and works through us by His Spirit. He is the all-knowing, all-powerful God who establishes and knows reality as it is. So we don't need to build or buy any virtual houses. We can build according to His reality. We can have confidence of our future, security in the face of whatever comes our way, because we walk by faith and not by sight. Oftentimes as we gather together, I'll, I'll begin by talking about how, how we gather to be reoriented to reality. That's not a mistake. That's not just like some super cool phrase I made up. It's true. It's what we're here to do. We need to live and build and walk in light of reality. 
And God has given us his word to help us live according to it, walk according to it. He has given us one another to encourage one another, to walk alongside one another, to confront one another in our sin, to ask forgiveness and forgive, to forbear with one another. Also that we might live according to reality. The church is an outpost of God's kingdom. It points us forward to a day when, when God will be our God and he will dwell with us forevermore. And so we look forward to that day. And until that day comes, we gather together and we listen to him. We are, we are a hearing people because God is a speaking God. We listen to him. We trust him for his promises are sure. His promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And we obey him because his words are life. His way is the path to life. So may God give us grace to do that. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for speaking to us through your word. You're not a silent God. But you come to us in our humanity, in our, in our limitations, in our propensity to believe lies and to live by lies. You come to us and speak truth. Lord, you are the maker of heaven and earth, the sovereign ruler over all. So may you give us grace to give you our hearts wholly and completely. As we sang earlier, may we be satisfied in you alone. Because no one else can satisfy, may we be satisfied in you. Lord, help us to live for you, walking by faith and not by sight. And pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.